Pillar Church. My name is uh, Terrence. I'm a member here at Pillar Church, originally from Central Florida, uh, but the Marine Corps has me out here in the DMV, so I'm thankful to be here. Uh, this is my first duty station, Quantico, Virginia, and uh, I thank God for this opportunity to uh, bring the word this morning. If you don't know me, um, I serve in multiple capacities here at Pillar Church, whether it's the setup and teardown team or the connections team welcoming different guests to the, uh, the church as well. And so we're going to continue our series here in Romans, the book of Romans, as we uh, know that the Garment family is on their sabbatical rest. Uh, we, so we praise God for that. So I'm, I'm just thankful. Um, speaking of the Marine Corps, I wasn't going to say this, but it's on my mind. Uh, Devin, where you at? Raise your hand. Devin, he's a good friend of mine. I met him in the Marine Corps about two years ago, and he was actually published in the Leatherneck magazine uh, for the testimony that he had in the Marine Corps. He went to boot camp twice and suffered many uh, trials and different things, but uh, in, that, in that magazine, it talks about how he overcame and why he's here today. So I just want to recognize him for that, brother. And so uh, if, if I can encourage you in any way possible, continue to do it unto the Lord, man, and uh, you, you'll go far, my brother. I love you. Uh, so, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So um, we're going to go to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, and continue our series here. Uh, but before we read the scripture, there's a hymn that's on my heart. It's an old hymn, and it was written by uh, Fanny Crosby in the, in the late 1800s. And uh, Fanny Crosby was a missionary, and she wrote a lot of hymns. And uh, this particular hymn is called Pass Me Not. And the history behind this hymn is uh, Fanny Crosby was going to visit uh, a prison. And in this prison, there were multiple prisoners. And as she was walking through the prison, somebody yelled out, Pass Me Not. And so we have the words of this song. It goes like this. <clears throat> Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry, and while on others thou art calling, please do not pass me by. I'm singing, Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. And while on others thou art calling, please do not pass me by. Let me at thy throne of mercy find a sweet relief. Kneeling there in deep contrition, Help my unbelief. We're singing, Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. And while on others thou art calling, please do not pass me by. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask that those of you who are willing and able to please stand for the reading of God's word. 
starting in verse 12 of chapter 5 in Romans. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here today to hear from your word, O oh God. I just ask personally that you would help this young brother do justice behind your pulpit, oh Lord. Lord, this is your word. So I just pray that right now that you would be with us in this hour, oh God. And we came to lift you up, Lord, the name above all names, Lord. And we just thank you once again, God, for today, Lord. This is the day you have made, Lord. And we choose to rejoice and be glad in it. And so, Father God, we just thank you, uh, praise you, and give us wisdom and understanding, oh God. And, and prick our hearts this morning from your word and through your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there was a commercial that was released in 2014, and it features, features uh, Richard Sherman, who at the time was a cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks. And during this time, he was having an outstanding season uh, because he was unstoppable on defense, and quarterbacks had a tough time completing passes whenever they played against Richard Sherman. And so in this in this in this commercial, you see Richard Sherman with a pair of Beats headphones on, and it's playing the song, I'm the Man by Aloe Black. And the audience is made to believe that, yes, you are the man, Richard Sherman. You're having an outstanding season. Your stats are, you know, beyond our imagination, and you're just performing well. Uh, so the song says, the chorus says, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. So it glorifies, you know, men and women in their performance. But as we just read in these scriptures here, um, Adam has sinned, and the rest of mankind has followed suit and sinned as well. But the man, Jesus Christ, provides justification with God through the finished work on the cross. So the real man is the man, Jesus Christ, the God man. So the book of Romans, it's a beautiful book, and it helps to solidify your theological foundation in the gospel of Christ. We've been studying it these past several months. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 15, it states that Paul is very much persuaded that at this gospel that he wants to get to the Romans to share it with them. So he longed to visit the Roman church, but he was prevented from doing so. 
So by God's providence, God kept Paul from getting to the Romans and through Paul's inability to visit the uh, Roman church at that time, we have what we have now, the uh, letter to the Romans. And so I can see the Apostle Paul saying this to the Roman church, since I can't see you all in the flesh, allow me to make it plain in this letter. And so even though he wrote to the Romans uh, during that time, it wasn't just for the Roman church, it's for us who are here today. Um, so we can experience firsthand how God justifies the guilty condemned sinner. So the first half of this book, the truths of this doctrine are explained to us. The elders have done a great job explaining these truths. In uh, Romans chapter uh, 1, verse 16, it says that salvation is to everyone who believes. And then in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, it says that circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit of God. Then in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as well as in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, it says that it's not by our works, but by faith that we are counted as righteous. Now, there's certain themes that follow throughout the book of Romans. Uh, one of them is justification, where God places us in right standing with him. And sanctification, where God sets us apart for his purpose. As well as reconciliation, where God restores our relationship with him. So now, in this passage of scripture, we see here two men. One who sinned and one who did not sin. One who acted in obedience and one who acted in disobedience. These two men are very similar, yet they're different at the same time. Let's talk about it. So Adam, he sinned. A couple of questions that came to my mind as I was studying. How did it happen? What was the result? What did it represent? So we see here in the opening statement of verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Let's stop there. Well, how did sin come into the world? Let's go back to Genesis. So Adam was the first human being created along with his wife Eve, and they had perfect harmony and fellowship with God. So Adam, he worked in a garden. God gave him that responsibility, and the garden was named Eden. And his responsibility was to tend the garden of Eden. He was also given a command by God in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It wasn't a suggestion. That's what's going to happen. So Adam was given specific instructions by God not to eat from the tree. But later on in chapter 3, it is revealed to us that Adam disobeys God. So Adam and his wife, they're in the garden, and his wife was tempted by the serpent to eat of the uh, fruit from the tree. And the text even says that it was a delight to the eyes. It looked good, but it wasn't good for you. Like some of the desserts we, uh, we like to enjoy, you know. And it looked good, but you're going to pay the price later. Praise God. So uh, with that being said, you know, um, she offers the fruit to Adam. And, um, you know, Adam, I'm thinking... You know, he probably didn't just take it, take the fruit right away because he knew what God had told him to do. He might have pondered on the idea of it at first. Even though Adam knew the right thing to do, he flirted with the wrong thing to do. Make it plain. We can look back at a time in our life where we had the opportunity to make the right decision. One is in obedience to God and the other is in disobedience. Due to our evil minds and because of our fallen uh, state and our carnal nature, 
We try to justify sinful actions. In other words, we like to flirt with the wrong. But as we continue through this text, we will see that there is hope in the midst of these nine verses. That hope comes through a man by the name of Jesus Christ. Leads me to my first bullet point, if you all like to take notes. The result of Adam's disobedience leads to death through sin. I think it's right to ask the question, what exactly is sin? It's mentioned a lot throughout scripture. Sin means to miss the mark. It means to transgress against a holy God. It is the violation or failure to adhere to the commands of God. In James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. That's why Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We'll get there. So the product of sin is death, and that is what follows. So, but the product of faith in Christ is eternal life. So, so we see here death, and we see eternal life. So death is mentioned here in verse 12, and it has two applications, one physical and spiritual. Physical death because death is a real thing. Our fleshly bodies will die and go back to the ground. Spiritual death, because if we choose not to believe the gospel of God, we will die in our trespasses and sins and live eternally separated from him. So, but thanks be unto God that through the power of his word and the working of his Holy Spirit, he was able to take a walking dead person and transform their life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's God. So the scripture points out in verse 13 that sin was in the world before the law was given, but it was not counted. It does not mean that people were not considered guilty or let off the hook, but the law helped us to see sin for what it is. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, it says, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So the law is mentioned also in verse 20. It says that the law came to increase the trespass, the law that was given to Moses in the Old Testament. It made us exceedingly more sinful. We knew the right thing to do, but we chose even more so to do the wrong thing. The law made us more prone to be disobedient to God. In other words, the law did not help build anyone's self-esteem. It really showed how jacked up we really are. So sin and iniquity are used interchangeably throughout the Bible. Iniquity is a state of being, our nature. It means to twist or bend. It is the inclination of our sin nature that makes us prone to do what is wrong. We are not as good as we think. Don't shoot the messenger. In all our effort in trying, try, trying to please God, we could not find justification in the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no man will be justified by God in his sight. Jesus even makes it more clear how sinful we are by taking it to the heart. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, he says, You have heard that it was said you, said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her in his heart has already committed adultery with her. Got to be more careful. So in that verse alone, Christ is saying you might be able to fool man, but you can't fool God. I might not have performed the action, but if I pondered on the thought of it, I'm still guilty before him. Who can help us? So God weighs the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
That's deep. We have a way of trying to bring our self-righteousness before God by saying things like, you know, I pay my taxes, I don't kill, I don't kick the cat, I follow the speed limit, or whatever it is. But no performance on our end is going to be satisfactory for God. So whether with the law or apart from the law, we are all sinners all the same. We're all on the same playing field. No one is better than the other. So this brings clarity to the gospel because we see and we recognize that we need someone greater than ourselves to restore us back to God. The law points us to a man, Jesus Christ, who was able to fulfill the law. But thanks be unto God that through faith in the man, Jesus Christ, the one who took on flesh, was tempted as we are but did not sin, on our behalf he fulfilled the law. So now by faith and believing in his finished work, we have right standing with God. That's justification. So scripture says that death reigned in the life of every man and woman who did not have the law leading up to Moses. And you know why death reigned? Because in Romans chapter 5, verse 16, or verse 15, rather, it says they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. While their conscience bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. In other words, it's saying you know when you've messed up without anyone having to tell you you messed up. You see what I'm saying? Nobody has to call you out, but it's written in your conscience that you know when you've done wrong before God and man without anybody having to tell you you've done wrong. So God put that in us, but the law just kind of made it more plain in the written form. So in Genesis, we see a man and a woman who disobeyed God and did not do as they were told. They, this could have been easily one of us. Sometimes we point the finger at our parents, Adam and Eve, but we ourselves are the ones to blame as well. You know, Adam sinned and died. Jesus died because of sin, but rose from death to life. So this message points out that human beings are born guilty of sin and deserving of divine wrath. The most precious thing about this message is that the man, Jesus Christ, provides the free gift of eternal life in him. So I thank God that Christ bore the punishment for our sins. And he died for our sins. And because of that, God will not condemn us for being guilty because he has declared us righteous in Christ. We see here in this passage that no man was able to do what God called us to do. Every man kept falling short after Adam, trying to restore that image back to God. And then so we look here and we see that Jesus Christ came and he was able to do that we could not do, but he did it on our behalf because he loved us. So now we trust in him, knowing what he's done on the finished work in the cross. So Adam points us to Christ. In the latter part of verse 14, I'll read it again. It says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. It says that Adam was a type or a pattern of the one who would come. So and that is Jesus Christ that they're talking about there. So a type, the definition of type, is a divinely intended illustration of something else. It could be a person, so is the case here, a place, an event, a ceremony, or an institution. 
It's like when toy manufacturers create a prototype before they release the real deal. Adam is the only Old Testament character who is explicitly identified as a type of Christ in the New Testament. His name in Hebrew actually means man. Adam, the word means man. So this man was created in the image of God. But once he sinned, that image was broken. So mankind has been trying to restore that image, but only one man can do it. Once again, Adam points us to the man, Jesus Christ, the God man. This helps us to see the gospel clearly because we see how depraved and helpless we are left to ourselves. For it declares in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a free gift, as a free gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now that we see how Adam represented what was to come, which is Christ, let us look at what makes the two of them similar. So what makes Adam and Christ similar is that the result of each man's act brought forth a significant change. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. So I asked the question as I was preparing this message, what did each man bring to the table in a sense? One was condemnation and the other was justification. So the trespass that Adam has committed is him blatantly going against what God told him not to do, which led to condemnation for all humanity. Adam sinned out of pure disobedience. His very nature was not prone to sin like ours. But, but, um, but because of his act of disobedience, every human being born after him was born into sin. For it declares in Psalm chapter 55, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So Adam's sin had a more direct and powerful effect. It was more than just a bad example. It results in his descendants inheriting a sinful nature. That was the result. Adam's decision is no different from any one of our decisions. What am I saying? I'm saying that decisions have consequences that affect not only yourself, but other people as well. Because of the sin of Adam, we have one thing in, one thing in common, everyone, the ground upon which we stand. From dust we were created, and from dust we shall return. That's a promise. So I know Paul only mentioned that Adam is the one that sinned, but Eve sinned as well. And Eve sinned because she was deceived, but Adam sinned blatantly. It's like seeing a no trespassing sign on a fence and still hopping the fence to see what's on the other side. God couldn't have made it any more plain for Adam, but he still chose to do the wrong thing. The text points out that the judgment following one trespass, which is Adam's disobedience towards God in the Garden of Eden, brought condemnation. Condemnation means to stand guilty, deserving of a sentence of punishment. An example of this is found in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua and his troops, they had just conquered the city of Jericho. And uh, they, they're walking through the city, and God commands them that everything within that city is devoted to God. You're not allowed to take anything back. But a man by the name of Achan stole some of the things that were devoted to God. And even though God said not to do that, he still did it anyway. So as a result of Akin taking possessions when he was not supposed to, the 
the Joshua's army suffers loss as a result. And so this ultimately led to Achan being stoned to death, and not only him, but his entire family. Yes, sinful desires have detrimental consequences. I know this is some heavy stuff, but if you bear with me, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Now that we see what the man Adam has brought to the table, we must look at what Christ has brought to the table. Jesus provides the free gift of eternal life. That's another bullet point. So the words free gift I mentioned five times throughout this passage of scripture. The free gift cannot be earned and no rank or merit can persuade God to receive it. We have a thing in the military called a meritorious promotion. If you do a little bit more work than the other person and you volunteer more and, and you, know, you make your resume look a lot better, you can get promoted quicker. But what this is saying here, no amount of work on our end is going to be able to twist God's arm to receive salvation. We can't do it. That's why I mentioned in the beginning of this uh, sermon that it's not by our works, but by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ's finished work, that we're made righteous with God. There's no point system. Hallelujah. So the words free gift is mentioned five times, and it's readily available to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is this, you all. The trespass that brought sin and death does not hold as much weight as the free gift of eternal life that is given to those who believe. It far more outweighs it. Even though we stand condemned on account of what Adam did, even more so are we justified on account of what Christ did for us. This free gift is not like what Santa Claus gives out during Christmas. The only way you get a free gift from Santa Claus is if you're on his nice list and not his naughty list. And I got good news for you folks. We're all on God's naughty list. And it's good news because I read somewhere in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. I also read in Zechariah that it says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And it also declares in John chapter 3, for the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, yet you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who was born of the spirit. It's all God's doing. We can't do it ourselves. And if he chooses so, so be it. So God be praised. So we don't have to work for this gift because if we had to work for it, it wouldn't be free. So if you're in Christ, you can sit back and say, I'm glad to be in the number. His love covers a multitude of sins. God has declared us righteous and justice was served on our behalf through the man Jesus Christ. We were dead in our trespasses, and God made us alive together with Christ. If you're in Christ, you've been made right with God. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and of death. The free gift is something to get excited about. This gift is not anything that this world can offer. And this world can offer a lot of things, a great career, a beautiful family, some money in your pocket, a nice car, whatever the case may be. But this free gift only comes from God, and it far more outweighs that because all this stuff is passing away. It's temporary. So the creator of the world, who is the ultimate judge, does not treat us as our sins deserve, but sees his son Jesus Christ full of grace and truth. 
even if you're a believer, we still sin and fall short. We're waiting to be glorified with him. But as we recognize our shortcomings, we see that Jesus Christ is a lot more appetizing. No amount of work on our end is going to be enough for God. Jesus Christ's ultimate sacrifice has satisfied God's wrath, and that's a fact. So the majority of this text is a, it's a comparison and a contrast, the transgression and the free gift. I'm going to read verse 19 real quick, and we'll stay here for a little bit. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. When the text says the word many, it means all people in regards to Adam. But when it says the word many, it means all people who believe in Christ in regards to Christ. So what we must realize is Jesus Christ's act on people was far more superior or much more than the act of Adam. He's a much more kind of God. Christ's act of obedience far outweighs Adam's act of disobedience. One that ends in death and one that ends with life. One that makes your knees buckle and one that makes you shout for joy. He does not leave us with the latter option. He does not leave us in our mess but redeems us from the curse of the law. So when the text says that death reigned, it is saying that it rules and has dominion. But there's always a but. The verse also says we can and we will reign in life through Jesus Christ. We reign because he reigns. And we live because he lives. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Amen. Pastor Clint, I want to thank you for this opportunity to preach today, and um, you know, I'm getting ready to take my seat, but before I go, I want to remind you all of a man by the name of Jesus Christ. You know, we've been talking about him all morning, but just in case you forgot, that man, Jesus Christ, was born of a virgin named Mary, and he lived a sinless life, performed miracles, signs, and wonders, and that man, Jesus Christ, had disciples, and he sent them out to do the Lord's work, but that man, Jesus Christ, also found himself in the garden one night. And he was in that garden and he was praying because he knew that his hour of suffering had come. He knew that his time to die had come. And he was under so much stress and duration knowing that he was about to suffer many things by the hands of people that he had his disciples come over and pray with them. But his disciples got tired and they got weary and they fell asleep on him. Not literally, but they fell asleep in the midst of him suffering. And so Jesus Christ was in the midst of this dilemma. The same dilemma that Adam was in when he was in the garden, but he was in the garden of Eden. Jesus Christ was in the garden of Gethsemane. And he was in this dilemma facing two things. One was to follow through with the will of God, and one was not to follow through with the will of God. One was to go about and do his own thing, and one was to do about the God thing. And so Jesus Christ was in this garden, and he was praying these very words. Lord, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so that man, Jesus Christ, was taken by the Roman soldiers, and he was led up a hill called Golgotha. And he was crucified between two thieves. One blessed him, and the other cursed him. One said he'll be with him in paradise, and the other forsake him and left him. But Jesus Christ, he hung on that cross, and they pierced him on his side, and they put a crown of thorns on his head, and he hung his head, and for you and me, he died. And he took him off that cross, and they put him in a grave. 
and he stayed in that grave a total of three days. But right early on the third day, he got up with all power in his hands. And we can say these words, he is risen, he is risen, he is risen. Thank God Almighty for the Lord Jesus Christ because he did not leave us in our sin. He did not leave us in our mess. And because of him, oh God, we can live and we can face tomorrow. So that is the gospel, my friends. I want to encourage you all to believe that and trust in that. I'll leave you with a quote from the book of Habits of Grace by David Mathis. Cody, I appreciate you for that book. And just when we think grace has carried us far enough, that God has done for us all that we could imagine and more, grace shatters the mold again. Grace sanctifies. It is too wild to let us stay in love with unrighteousness. Too free to leave us in slavery to sin. Too untamed to let our lusts go unconquered. Grace's power is too inhibited to unleash for us the happiness of true holiness. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Samson, you taught me that one, brother. And so the only way you get this free gift is through eternal life. The only way you get this free gift of eternal life is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If there's anything you want to take away from this message, it's this. Our salvation is not based on our performance. We're all on the same playing field, everyone. As the text said, our performance is as filthy rags before God. Our performance in sports, in careers, in relationships, in ministry, or anything else does not make us right before God. Even if, even if we're a great athlete like Richard Sherman, it does not matter. Yes, we should strive to do our best in all that we do and please, Lord, please the Lord in all that we do. But not with, the, well, not with the intention of trying to win God's approval for salvation. We must trust the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross to carry us through. His blood has covered our sins, so let's live for him. Understand that salvation is a free gift. You don't have to work for it. There's no point system with God. Believe his word and trust the finished work at the cross. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are faithful when we are unfaithful. Lord, thank you that you don't look at us in our mess and in our sin, but you look at us through Christ, oh God, and what he's done for us, Lord. Lord, we're all unworthy, Lord. We're all unrighteous. We're all undeserving, but God, you saw fit to die in our place, to, to, to take on our sin and iniquity, oh Lord, when you did not have to. What kind of love is that? Our mind can't even fathom that, oh Lord. So Lord, we thank you that your word was preached, Father God, and I pray that it would resonate in the hearts of myself and the people who heard it, Lord, and that it would not just stay here, but it would follow us throughout the week, Lord. It would it would come up in our minds and in our hearts in conversation when we go to bed, oh, Lord. Your word, oh, God, that you died for us, and there's, there's life in you, Father God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would forgive me if I said anything that was not in line with your scripture, Father God, and that um, you would make it make sense to the, ear, the, the ears who heard it, oh, Lord. Thank you for a pillar church and the work that we're doing. Continue to bless it, oh, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're getting ready to prepare for the Lord's Supper today. Um, so as this passage reminds us that we're celebrating the very gift of God's grace 
through faith that God has given us when we take communion. Um, so we, we want to celebrate what Christ has done for us. As we partake in the bread and the cup, we welcome those of you who have sincerely believed the gospel and turned to Christ in repentance to join us as we remember Christ's death for salvation. Uh, but if you have not done so, we ask that you just uh, let the elements pass by. Um, if you have not received, you know, the cup and the bread, feel free to do so during the song that's in the back at the green table. And uh, God be praised. Join us as we worship.